Well, hello there, Scouting Stuff listeners. As you can tell, the mixer is working again. I've got good audio quality, at least for this little introductory part. I'd actually hoped to sit down with Colin and with Brian, but unfortunately, it uh, worked out that we just weren't able to put together a decent schedule for this. It was mostly my fault, actually. Um, Colin was available on a couple of nights, including our usual recording night, and I wasn't. And then I tried to reschedule, and it's just, uh, it didn't work out. Uh, so my apologies to both of them. We will have to get them on the show again soon. It'd be really nice to do a catch up with Brian, especially because we did miss him for the 50th anniversary or for the 50th episode. And he wants to talk about the big camp that's going to be happening in Virginia in a couple of years. So in lieu of that, I did have one other episode in the can. And this was a discussion that I had with Scouter Nancy, who's also with BSA. She's a Cub Scouter. And we were talking about some of the differences between the Cub program in the United States and in Canada. And then also took a look at how the Boy Scouts of America is recommending to begin implementation of female membership in the Cub Scouts starting in 2018. And comparing that to how we do it in Scouts Canada as well. It's a longer conversation, and I apologize, my audio quality was pretty terrible, although that said overall, I think the audio worked out really, really well, given that I had to resort to using Google Hangouts. I haven't used that in years to record a podcast episode. Well, a couple of years at any rate. Um, But given that I had to resort to using Google Hangouts, yes, I do apologize. The audio quality is not the best, and my microphone was really misbehaving, so there's static in several parts, and again... My apologies totally on me and my tech and the weird circumstances that were thrust upon me while I was in Ireland, because yes, this was also an Ireland recording. Anyway, without further ado, let's dive into the conversation I had with Nancy. It's, uh, it's nice to finally get to get you on an episode and, you know, hopefully you have a little bit of time left to sit and chat, um, because I know we wasted a fair chunk of time trying to actually get the tech on my end to work. Um, This whole whole week has basically just been like flying by the seat of the pants for me in terms of like technology, both in terms of what I'm doing at the job that I'm here in Ireland to do. And also in terms of, you know, trying to figure out how to make audio work, make chat work on um, just using the tech I have available because like I brought my mixing board and everything over, but it was a wasted effort because the power supply for it only supports 120 volts. It doesn't support 240. And of course, all the wall outlets here are 220. So, and I don't have a step down. Oh. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. It was like completely dumb oversight on my part. And so unfortunately, I have to make use of these little miniature mics that um, my wife bought me and they've been really great for me, but then for whatever reason today, they're being a pain in the butt. So I apologize to anyone listening for the amount of static that will occur every time that I'm talking. So maybe we'll just try and get Nancy to talk as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, for those of you tuning in, we are joined by Nancy and you are a Cub Scouter, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yes. In, uh, Kansas. Brilliant. So I guess I should ask first, has your pack been doing um, Jota Jody this weekend? Um, no, we have not. Um, my pack, we have 10 boys. And um, this weekend they were focused on selling popcorn. And then we got weathered out. Ah. So, um, and we're in a very rural part of Kansas. So um, internet 
is spotty at best for the most part. And um, there isn't very much ham radio type stuff around that I have found. Now, that may change in a year. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more of an enthusiast thing now than anything else, I think. But um, so, all right. Well, there is there is a lot that we could potentially talk about, especially in light of like recent news. Um, but like my initial thought was that I kind of wanted to do a bit of a compare and contrast between the Cub Scout program in BSA versus the Cub Scout program in say Scouts Canada, um, which for those of you tuning in from outside Canada will also mirror more or less the Cub Scout program in say Ireland and um, other parts of Europe. That'd be great. Uh, yeah. So like, I'll give you a brief overview maybe of Cubs in Scouts Canada. Um, this is the second section of scouting. So you would come to, you know, if you were going to do the whole scouting track, you know, the entire uh, breadth of the youth movement in Scouts Canada, you'd start in Beavers and that would be for your five-year-olds, your six-year-olds and your seven-year-olds. And then after that, you would move up to Cubs and that's for eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds. Okay. Okay. Um, in USA, it's, um, we have a pilot program for kindergarten boys that's um, still a pilot. It's called Lions, and that's for kindergarten or six-year-olds. Um, and then Tigers is for first grade seven-year-olds. Um, Wolf, second grade, eight, um, and then Bear would be third grade, um, and then Weeblos, and then Arrow of Light. So by the time you're um, either 10 and a half or 11, you cross over into Boy Scouts. All right. So yeah, like you're, the way you do the program kind of both, basically encapsulates most of what we do with both Beavers and Cubs. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So we start them a year earlier. Um, yeah. And Obviously, we have different names for them, too. Our beavers are brown tails for the five-year-olds, blue tails for the six-year-olds, white tails for the seven-year-olds. And then our cubs uh, now are called runners for the junior cubs, trackers for the middle-aged cubs, and then the senior cubs are called howlers. Wow. Yeah, and actually, yeah, <laughs> and just a little bit. Um, and I mean, like, we actually just overhauled our program. So like two years ago, they were known by completely different names, which were also different from what the BSA knew them as. Um, before we would have called them Cubs. Um, the second year Cubs would have been called Seconders and then the senior Cubs would have been called Sixers. And it was kind of all organized around um, the Cub packs were always divided into groups of um, six, six youth. But now we've kind of changed that because we've, moved into this Canadian path, which is based on the one program framework, which like I say, is in use in other places. Like I'm in Ireland right now and they've been using one program for close to a decade. Um, oh. So and, anyways, um, we just overdid ours too. Um, this will be our second full year in it. Um, where we just, it, instead of now they're adventures, each little section in their book is called an adventure and they have to complete seven adventures to get their rank. 
basically working out to be the time frame where they, from like September to February, they would do their main core adventures. And then from February to May, they would do like elective adventures just so you can get more outside in the spring and stuff. Yeah, totally. And actually that's one part too, that I think is probably the most profoundly different between our programs, because I mean, like we can call the youth, whatever we want to call them. And if you go around the world, there's different names that get used, but BSA still very much has this, like if I have a youth who starts Cubs as a runner, well, in the next year, he's going to be a tracker. And the next year after that, he's going to be a howler. It's based on age. But in the BSA, there's still very much the ranking requirements. So can you maybe like explain a little bit about how that works? Because that's actually one area that I'm not entirely clear about. Okay. Um, well, regardless, um, okay. If you're in a traditional unit and you start out as a tiger, let's say, by the end of that year of scouting, you're going to be, whether you complete the adventures or not, when you come back the following fall, you're going to be a wolf. They don't, even if you don't make rank. So making rank is kind of a, a reward for doing all the hard work. And even if you don't complete that, you're still going to move on to the next rank and then, and still move up where in boy scouts, here it's much more boy led and boy motivated. So like if they start out um, with their tenderfoot and they decide they want to be a tenderfoot their entire scouting career, that then they're going to be a tenderfoot. It's up to them to do the um, advancement to get to the next rank. It's not automatic like it is in Cub Scouts. So a boy oh, okay. can stay one rank for his entire scouting career if he wanted to. Now, usually they don't because they're motivated by the other boys to move up and get their higher ranks. But in Cub Scouts, we kind of relieve that. They're going to get their rank regardless. Um, well, they're going to move on. They're not going to necessarily get that rank, but they're going to move on regardless of whether they actually do the work and make rank or not, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is essentially how we do it here as well. And I apologize to anyone listening for the sheer amount of static that you might be hearing right now. My microphone is just betraying me and we're going to have words after this, but um, anyways, yeah, no, we work on much the same principle. Like they, they move up regardless. And the, now one way that I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but one way that we may differ a lot in terms of like how we track progression is um, Cub Scout progression. Like you talk about the adventures and, you know, having completed the adventures, are achievement badges part of that system? Um, like they have to earn certain set badges? Or is that, again, something that more comes to the fore in Boy Scouts? Um, well, the merit badge part is all Boy Scouts. What we have is okay. like each adventure has um, what we call an adventure loop. It's a little metal um, belt loop, basically. It goes around their belt, basically saying, hey, I completed this adventure. And once they complete the six required and one elective, then they get their rank badge. But then they can still 
if there is still in that year, they can still, you, you know, work on, like, say, one of the adventures for wolves is pause on the path. So we go through and we do each requirement for that. And I give them their little adventure loop and basically stating that they've finished that section of their wolf year. So there's different sections that we work on and we can work on several sections at once, but they have to complete each requirement in that section in order to move on. All right. So do your Cub Scout badges or do your Cub Scouts like they don't even have then sort of the traditional badge infrastructure then, eh? No, they don't. Where like Boy Scouts has merit badges, so they have oh gosh, I think there's a hundred and there's almost 140 different merit badges a Boy Scout can earn during his career. Boy Scouts isn't my specialty, so forgive me if I'm off on that part. Um, but they work on merit badges, basically giving them different skills because they're way more in-depth than Cub Scouts are. Because everything we do is age-appropriate. not really age-appropriate for like a seven-year-old to do as in depth of a of an um, subject as like an eighteen year old, you know. No, and that's very true. Um, but again, that's another point of like real difference between how um, BSA does it versus how Scouts Canada does it. Because for us, we actually do have, actually, even down to the beaver level, we have badges. But admittedly, the badges split into two categories. So we have. I think at the beaver and the cub level, actually, it might be true for all levels. At the beaver and the cub level, at least, though, we have, um, there's 16 what are called personal achievement badges. And these would be roughly analogous to merit badges. But they're, they're not as specific as the BSA badges are, right? So there might like be an art badge, but it's non-specific to a particular style of art, right? Like it's just sort of, it's up to the youth to say, I want to earn this badge, and here are the artistic pursuits that I'm going to engage in, which may or may not even involve, like, you know, painting a picture or anything like that, right? Like, it's a broader definition of art. And so they're more like, these badges are more like buckets into which the youth can say, the thing that I want to earn, like, it falls under this category. And then they get to plan out how they're going to go about earning the badge, and then they get to well, you know, carry that out and do a review with us. And then, you know, we say, okay, yeah, like this, this was an excellent example of, of this and here's your badge. But those badges aren't tied to progression in any way. They're purely elective. And if a cub doesn't want to earn a single one of them, that's no fault to him or her. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. We also have another category of badges, which we call the Outdoor Adventure Skills. And these are, you know, camping, scout craft, winter skills, aquatics, climbing, things like that, right? And again, there's about, there's nine of them. And again, they're sort of silos, but these are where we now start to have very specific requirements, you know, like, so uh, for the climbing badge, there's very specific requirements regarding like um, having gone bouldering or being able to identify parts of a carabiner or having gone on so many climbs or things like that. And there's nine levels to each of them. And the levels get obviously more intense as you go along. So, you know, climbing level one is actually very easy to attain. If you can 
demonstrate um, a knowledge of you know how to properly be safe at height. And if you've gone um, like bouldering once, that would be climbing level one. Whereas climbing level nine is crazily intense, you know. And the idea with the outdoor adventure skills is that they actually follow youth throughout the program. So if a youth earns his level one climbing in beavers, well, then in cubs, they can work on level two or three scouts, level four or five, maybe six, and then on into ventures and rovers to really try and attempt that advanced, advanced stuff. So it still scales to their skill level. It still scales, you know, to that maturity level, that increasing maturity level across all the program sections. But at the same time, each section is able to, you know, earn them. Um, so it kind of, it strips away a lot of that division. It kind of, you know, makes the program seem more, and I guess that's probably why they call it one program is that it, you know, sort of creates this unity Less. across all the sections. Yeah. But it's interesting then that, you know, like we do the badges, but yours are, and I've heard about the adventure loops and I actually do think that's a really cool idea because, um, like then they become sort of, you know, mementos, right? Right. Um, if you look on Pinterest or well, any, Hey, Pinterest is a scout a secret weapon. <laughs> oh yeah. I love Pinterest. Um, and you put in adventure loops, you can find all sorts of um, display cases just for the adventure loops and how to make them and stuff. So, um, and then if we have a kid that's been in scouting, you know, and he's getting his arrow of light, which is our highest um, award that a Cub Scout can earn. You look back and you see all of his adventure loops and it's like, wow, he really, you know, it, it gives them a, a way to look back and go, wow, look what I did. I have tangible proof of what I've accomplished. So that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, that is. And so I just want to ask about arrow of light. Now, is that related to order of the arrow at all? Or is that a completely different thing? Completely different thing. Um, before we did the um, uh, new adventure program, um, Weeblows and Arrow of Light was an 18-month program. Um, you'd be a Weeblow 1, um, and once you completed those requirements, you'd move on and do Weeblow 2, and you'd earn your Arrow of Light award. Um, people have said it's, this, it's the Cub Scout equivalent to the Eagle. It's not. It's just the highest award that we can give a kid at, in Cub Scouting, and then they can wear that it's the only one that they can wear on their Boy Scout uniform. Um, now that we've divided it up and Arrow of Light is now an actual rank, um, it's still the highest award that a Cub Scout can earn because not all of them that go through Arrow of Light actually finish it. Um, so it's kind of... Um, it's still a high award. They still can wear it on their Boy Scout uniform. Um it's a little easier to earn now than it was before, but it's still very high esteem. And we give those boys that actually do earn it um, a few more accolades. And um, I make my boys um, a career arrow and I kind of color coordinate what they've done on the arrow and make it a commemorative thing that they can put on their wall. 
Um, so it's a, it's a big achievement for them to be able to earn that and then be able to wear that on their Boy Scout uniform and go, yes, see what I did? I did that. And now I'm moving on and, and going to do more. And most boys that earn their Arrow of Light, um, at least in my experience with our pack and troop, um, go on and earn their Eagle. The ones that don't, not always will they make Eagle. They Most of them do, but not always. It Most of it sets up a work ethic. Right. Well, that's cool. That's cool, actually, because I mean, like, and actually, that's one thing that's been new for us with Cubs for the last couple of years as well is um, like, I mean, we always had a badge program with the Cubs and there were, you know, pretty significantly high. They actually used to work towards stars. And, you know, the whole idea was that under each, I think there were six stars and under each star, there was like certain requirements, um, including several different badges that had to be earned. Um, and of course, back then the merit badges were sort of a combination of personal interest and also outdoor skills, right? You know, mm-hmm. so like there's an art badge, but then there's a knot tying badge, things like that. Um, darn it microphone. I will end you. But anyways, um, now of course, because we've separated out like the personal achievement stuff from the outdoor stuff. We've also introduced a, uh, what we call it a top section award for the Cubs and actually for the Beavers as well. And, um, for the Cubs, it's called the C and E award. And if you know your jungle book, you'll, you'll recognize the term C and E. It was the name of the wolf tribe that Mowgli was part of. The idea with the C and E award is that you have to progress a certain amount in your outdoor adventure skills. I think you have to achieve 10 ranks in your outdoor adventure skills, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the requirement for uh, a certain number of community service hours, a review of your Cub Scouting career with one of the scouters, and then the completion of a project, um, which, and I know there are similar uh, Actually, one of the great resources that I've been pointing to for people, because again, we've only had this for a couple of years. One of the great resources I've been pointing people to is the the BSA, because people are like, well, what kind of project is appropriate? Like, what do they mean by project? And what's appropriate for a Cub Scout? And I'm just like, we below projects, lion projects, here, take them. (laughs) Um, There's all kinds of online resources for that sort of thing. But much as the same with the Arrow of Light, the CNE award actually isn't awarded to them while they're in Cubs. They can complete it up until the end of August in their last year in Cubs. And then the actual award is given in Scouts. And so they would wear it on their Scout uniform. And actually, yeah. And actually, like if, again, this is sort of a program overhaul, but like if my Beavers earn their North, North Star award, then that gets awarded to them in Cubs and they can wear the big North Star award badge on their uniform. And then if they go on to earn c and then they get awarded that in Scouts and they can wear the big c and award badge on their uniform. But they also get a miniaturized version of the North Star award. So if they hit this top section award in each section, then basically they wear the big version of the badge for their most recent section and then a smaller version of the badge. So actually these, all of these awards carry forward with them. And 
Uh, I mean, Queen's Venture would roughly be our equivalent of Eagle Scout um, because it's awarded at like that. That's the top award at about the same age level, right? Uh, Venturers is from 13 to 17 for us. And Queen's Venture would be like the top award that you can get scouting. But yeah, that's, I mean, when I, and again, like I've had other conversations across the border with, with people in BSA and I, I, one thing that I've always liked about BSA, and I think we've started to finally get this now in Scouts Canada, is the fact that, you know, it does feel like there's this very, there is a very fluid progression. You know, you work your way up through Cubs and then you're into Boy Scouts. And again, there's sort of this fluid progression all the way up. Whereas in the past with Scouts Canada, it's kind of felt, at least to me, that the different sections, Beavers, Cubs, Scouts, etc., are kind of, have kind of been islanded. You know, it's like what we're doing in beavers it's not it wasn't always necessarily easy to you know see how it related to and progressed you into cubs and then cubs into scouts and right from scouts on up maybe not as much of an issue right because like ventures although even then like ventures was a very different experience from scouts because you know ventures was always very youth-led and rovers even more so whereas scouts until just recently was very much a case of, you know, like it was still the scouters delivering program down to the youth. So, you know, I, I suppose if I went through scouts again, it would feel more like, you know, my experience in venturers and rovers versus, you know, how I remember it. Um, but, you know, again, like generally speaking, we haven't always been good at sort of giving that sense of what comes next in you know to 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 youth at any particular point in the scouting program and that's one thing that i do like about our new program which is something i think that bsa has is that sort of there's always that look forward it's just like okay you know like you're this rank now and you're going you you know you're moving forward you know you're uh you know right. you're moving forward towards that wee below you're right. moving forward towards right. that arrow of light well and even let's take um their use of being able to use a pocket knife now, uh, we start that in the BEAR program, which is um, third grade, um, eight-year-olds. Um, but up until that point, we kind of give them, okay, well, you can't use a knife right now, but wait until you get to be a BEAR. And then when they get that, they're very proud of it, and they're very... And we start very young saying, okay, a knife is a tool, right? And it's not a toy, and... You know, we establish those things early, and then by the time they get it, they actually earn it. Then they're much more respectful of it. And then when they get to Boy Scouts, they get their totem chip, which is being able to use a pocket knife. But now they can use a saw and an axe. So it kind of progresses. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, with their skill level and their maturity level, but it's very fluid, and it gives them something to look forward to. Um, which is helpful in motivation a lot of times. Yeah, totally. And I mean, uh, I think actually that was one sort of thing that we weren't doing very well with our scouts is that um, we, or with our Cub Scouts rather, was that we never, uh, at least until recently, we were kind of operating under the, under the assumption that we weren't allowed to do knife work with them. And that's not actually true. Um, which I was very glad to learn. And actually we've already like 
got some knife skills training lined up for them. But yeah, it's about that age eight. I definitely can't do anything of that nature with beavers, the five to seven-year-olds. But yeah, with the Cub Scouts, we are actually, I just figured out, allowed to start doing their knife training. But um, they can't earn their knife permit until they hit Scouts. But we can do a lot to prepare them now to, uh, to, to hit that. So I'm actually really glad that that is a part of our program. Although I don't know if it's necessarily well known throughout parts of Scouts Canada, because certainly our group was in error about it. And some of the feedback I've heard from other Cub Scouters was like, you can't do knives with Cubs. What are you talking about? It's like, well, no, 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 no. You can do knives. They just can't like bring them to events and stuff. So you know, they can't bring their own knife to a meeting necessarily. Or if they do, they can't, or if like we're on a camp, they can't, you know, tuck a pocket knife in with the rest of their emergency kit, you know, things like that. They're under more restrictions there until they get their knife permit. But, uh, right. Um, and our kids actually have a little card they carry around. And if say they're doing something they shouldn't do with their knife and I catch them, the discipline for that would be number one, to have a conversation with them and their parent, but then they would lose a corner off their card. But once they've lost all four corners, they lose their knife privileges. Oh no. In order to get them back, they have to go back through the course, relearn everything, make sure that they can demonstrate that they can be responsible with the knife. And then it's up to the leader and the parent to decide, okay, have they really learned this, relearned it? Do they have the maturity level? I think um, I have a lot of parents when we start um, bears, the very first section in their book is that knife um, section. And I'm like, nope, we're not doing that first. We never do that first. I got to get to know my kids. Yeah, exactly. We move that to the, the backside. Um, and the kids are disappointed, but then by the time we get to it, they're like, oh, Miss Nancy, we understand now why you made us wait. It's so much better now. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and, it, and it is important to, you know, sort of really, um, kind of, you know, to, to, to put the gravity of, of what a knife is and what it can be used for into their mindset. Did I lose you? Uh, I, oh. uh. I just ran out of things to say. Oh, I totally <laughs> like lost all audio. And I was like, okay, did I lose you? Are oh, you there? <laughs> I have no idea. This is going to be a fun one to edit. I'm going to have to work on this one for a little bit. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Like I say, I think it's more, I'm being betrayed by my technology. Um, which Doesn't like I say, really been the story of this trip. Oh my gosh. Do you want to talk about the girls part? You know what? It's worth, I mean, it's worth asking. Yeah. Cause actually, you know, what has been funny. Um, so yeah, I guess it would be a good time to maybe just move into this topic for a little bit because you know, what's funny is of course I've been doing Jota Jody all weekend and uh-huh. I've talked with a lot of people and actually like the conversation I had earlier with um, Justin from scouting radio, you know, he asked me, he's like, so, have you talked to like many, you know, many, have many people been mentioning, you know, like the BSA's recent decision to allow female membership? And I'm like, nobody. I've talked about it once this weekend, but it wasn't online. It was offline when I 
um, went on a tour near here. And one of the other people on the tour afterwards, we were just talking and, you know, I mentioned my involvement with scouting and she asked me like what I thought then about the BSA's decision. And like, that's the only conversation I've had about it. I've been hanging out with scouts online all weekend and nobody else has mentioned it. So yeah, I mean, obviously the BSA recently, um, voted to allow female membership, I believe starting 2018 at the cub level. Yes. And then 2019 expanding that out to, yeah, pretty much up to Eagle. Yes. Um, the plan that's currently in front of us is that, um, our charter organization, which is like our, our organization that owns the pack. Right. Would choose whether they want to be a boy only pack and then offer a girl only pack. Um, or if we want to do boy dens and girl dens. So like we'd have a group of boy tigers and a group of girl tigers. Oh, okay. Um, so that actually gets handed down from the, the sponsor organization. Well, national dictates what the choices are. And then the charter organization gets to choose what they want to do. Um, they're dictating body as far as, as on a local unit level, um, what we can do. Um, most cub packs are chartered to a church. Um, some are not like mine is not. Um, so I would just go to my group that I, I have a meeting set up with them and I'm going to explain their choices. Um, they'll vote and decide um, what we're going to do. And then, then it's my job as the committee chair to then implement that plan. Um, you again. Oh, no, small rural community. It's going to be interesting um, because we do have a Girl Scout troop that's local. And I've already talked to that leader um, where I want to work with her, not against her. Right. Um, so, and we're, Girls that want to join Cub Scouting, in my experience, are girls that want to do the the outdoor skills, want to do um, Pinewood Derby. They're little sisters or they have somebody in their family that's a Boy Scout and they've seen all the cool things boys get to do and they want to do those things also. And Girl Scouts, at least in our area, doesn't necessarily offer those things. Yeah, and actually that's... Um that's kind of analogous to like the situation we have up in Canada, because obviously Scouts Canada has had female membership has been open to female membership for 20 years officially. Yeah. Um, 97 was the date that it was, you know, made uh, available across all sections. Now, to be fair, some of our sponsoring organizations do have the option of designating the groups they sponsor as boys only. So for example, the LDS church, uses scouting as its boys youth program and then they have something else for the girls so lds scout troops are boy only but pretty much everybody else is open to both and um but we also still have girl guides which kind of would be the analog of the girl scouts and yeah a lot of times what drives people to well i mean like even after 20 years, people in Canada still don't realize that there are people in Canada who still don't realize that girls can be scouts. 
Like it still surprises some people that I encounter when I say my daughters are Cub Scouts. All right. But, <laughs> um, but usually what, uh, actually before I finish that thought, um, like oftentimes what you'll see is that in the bigger cities where we have the population base to support multiple groups, you'll generally find girls go to guides, boys go to scouts. Um, in the rural communities, it's a little bit different because if there isn't the population base there to support both, then the scout group will usually be the one that's there because it is, of course, open to both boys and girls and offers, you know, then a program that's right. accessible to them. Um, so usually in the rural communities is where we'll see like the more 50-50 breakdowns of membership. Whereas in the cities, like I probably don't have more than 25% membership 25% female membership in any of my beaver colonies or cub packs. Um, maybe at the scout level, we have a little bit more than that, but even then, like it's still mostly boys. And there's really not even a point in us trying to like approach 50, 50. It's, you know, because there's guide groups in the area too. And so there's kind of that competition and it really does, like you say, break along the interest line. You know, we will get the, you know, we get the girls who um, are either just naturally outdoors driven, outdoors inclined themselves. And that's not to say that the guide troops aren't necessarily outdoorsy. Some of them are actually very, very outdoor focused and are really, you know, like in terms of the program they deliver to the youth, they're not particularly distinguishable from any scout group one could name. Um, but a lot are, you know, still doing the baking, the sewing, the indoorsy stuff, right? And right. so... Uh, you know, for some girls, they join one or the other because, yeah, it's just purely an interest-based thing. And then also, I think, too, we do get, like, the little sisters and sometimes the big sisters, too, actually. Like, I have a, a young lady who switched from guides to cubs this year um, because her younger brother was having such a darn fun time in beavers with the stuff that we were doing, and she kind of wanted in on that, so... But yeah, you, yeah. you get that too. Um, is Scouts Canada co-ed all across the board? Or yep. is there... like I say, 1997 and actually like 20 years officially and unofficially closer to 40 years because we actually started piloting female membership with Rover Scouts. So the oldest section, 18 to 25 roughly, back in like the late 70s. And then we moved it down to Venturer Scouts into like the 80s and 90s, Scouts in the 90s. And then 1997 was the go-live date. So yeah, all of Scouts Canada, all sections, all ages, open to female and male membership. Okay. And our Venture Crews for, well, 20 years next year um, will be co-ed. Um, now, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts will not be, okay, it's not the traditional co-ed that everybody thinks of. Um, they're working on the model that it, particularly for Cub Scouts, that it's much easier for busier families to have one stop to, to do things as a family with their kids. Um, but it'll still be single sex um, dens or, you know, if they decide to do a boy true boy pack and a girl pack, then um, they'll still have that single sex interaction 
and then come together for like a PAC meeting, um, which we didn't talk about what the difference between a den meeting and a PAC meeting was, but yeah, actually um, that would be a good to elaborate on because yeah. Um, so den meeting is like, um, your tigers, wolf, bear, those are all dens. Right. Um, and they meet, um, and it's usually grouped, um, six to 10 boys, depending on how many you've got. Um, and they meet and they do their adventures together. Um, a pack is all the dens together. Um, we usually do a pack meeting once a month and that's where all the dens come together and they share with each other what they've done in that month say um we do awards um our pack usually does maybe a potluck you know so we have a meal together um kind of just to celebrate each other um and our accomplishments now like i said my pack is very small so all of our dens meet at the same time same place we just use different tables in the room, basically. So we still okay. have our too deep leadership um, that we have to have. Um, but I have two tigers right now. Oh, three tigers right now. Um, two, uh, no wolves at the moment. Um, I have three bears, two weeblos, and two air of light. So it's not like we can, you know, it wouldn't be, it's easier for our small pack to meet all together all the time. Totally. Then say, if I had 50 scouts, we couldn't do that. No. And, you know, then you'd have more reason really to break it up across like multiple evenings or however you wanted to organize right. it. Um, so when we have girls, the, I, you know, the ideal model that the BSA wants is like, if I had a group of uh, six or six-year-olds, um, I'd split them up um, by sex, girls over here, boys over here, and then they would do the same adventures. Right. The ideal thing being is that girls talk differently to girls when they're alone, boys talk differently to boys, and, you know, I in Cub Scouting, I don't see it making that big of a difference when they go to Boy Scouts. Um, it's definitely going to be a bigger thing. Um, the way they're going to do that is that there'll be a boy troop and a girl troop. They will not be co-ed, but the girls will have work on the same uh, merit badges that they'll have the same rank. They'll do all the same things and work to Eagle. They'll just do it in a quote unquote girl friendly environment. <laughs> Yeah. See, and that's actually really quite different from how we do it because we're basically, I mean, I suppose technically any individual scout group could choose to do this differently. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, there are some scout groups actually even nearby to, to me that choose to have all of their sections, Beavers, Cubs, Scouts, Ventures, Rovers, if they have them meet in the same place on the same night. That's one way to do it. Um, Versus us, where we're broken out across multiple evenings. Beavers, Monday night and Tuesday night. Cubs are on Wednesday night. I think one of our scout sections meets in a completely different place on Monday nights. Another meets in a completely different place on Wednesday nights. The Venturers meet whenever they remember to. And the Rovers meet whenever they want to. Um, so, you know, like it's it's very... 
there's a lot of flexibility there. And I'm sure that if a scout group in Canada wanted to do it that way, they probably could, but it would kind of seem strange because we're basically like, it's full integration, right? So the girls are there, the boys are there. They're just all in uniform. They're just my cubs. And we don't actually have that separation of pack versus den meetings. So the way we're organized is we just, we have the cub pack. And I guess every week is a pack meeting, right? Because the entire pack comes together and then they might break out into layers, but the layers are composed of all three howlers, trackers, runners. Um, so the senior cubs and the junior oh, cubs okay. uh, working to, and the idea is that the howlers are kind of supposed to be the lairs leaders, right? So, um, you know, in the ideal sense, we, the scouters, well, I mean, A, the youth are supposed to kind of set the tone of the programming, right? So we, the scouters are really just supposed to facilitate um, the adventures that the youth, us, that they want to have. And whatever the particular activity is, you know, like we'll have done as scouters, we'll have done preparation to, you know, like whatever needs to be done to realize it, right? Like say we're going to be working on knots. So we're going to, you know, be the ones providing the ropes and maybe we'll like print out, um, you know, pages showing like, oh, here's how to tie a bowline or something like that. But then the ideal is that we're supposed to break the group, the youth out into their packs or sorry, into their lairs. And then the howlers would come, we'd, you know, hand them the materials and then they would go and sort of instruct their uh, youth. Now, practically speaking, it doesn't always work that way at the cub level. It definitely works that way at the scout level. But, you know, that, that, that's the idea is that we're, we're integrated both by sex and age. And so we don't really have that pack versus den meeting distinction. Um, now, that said... It's also up to the youth to decide what the layer composition will be. So in past years with the Cubs, we've had situations where layer composition has been um, mixed. So, you know, you have a mixture of boys and girls in a layer. And we've had years where the layer composition has been um, by sex. So there's, you know, typically only been about one girl's layer and then two or three boys layers. Um, but you know, the point is, it's not on our charter organization, which in this case is a community nice. league, to decide. It's actually the youth themselves who will make that call year to year. Interesting. Um, it sounds like you guys run more of what um, Baden Powell had in mind with the patrol method, which we really don't get into here until Boy Scouts. Patrol method is a term that gets urged a lot more these days. Um, I, I, and again, I say that more out of my experience as a beaver scouter, it was always the case with cubs that we were trying to do it patrol method style, but, um, with the beavers, especially, um, it's a relatively recent thing. The beavers were still organized. Like, you know, they still had their brown tails, the youngest blue tails, and then the white tails, the oldest. And we still broke them up into what we called lodges. But with the Beaver program, it was very much we, the Scouters, were delivering the program down to them. But now, under this new Canadian path, under the one program framework, yeah, we're definitely encouraged to, even at the Beaver level, let the Whitetails kind of lead to the best of their abilities, and then we help them out. And certainly in Cubs now, there's a renewed emphasis on this. Um, but yeah, it, the patrol method is, is a term that gets used a lot more these days. I find 
Um, and again, that's probably just a bit of bias on my part because I'm coming out of the Beaver program where I've delivered it under the old system and now I'm delivering it under the new system. And so patrol method is something new to the, the way we run Beavers, but it's certainly nothing new to the way we run Scouts. Uh, I mean, or um, Cubs. Like I can remember being a Cub and it was that system. Um, where I try really hard to have our um, Air of Light Scouts um be more in charge give them more of a leadership type position so um like my pack most packs will meet in the evening um at their church um our pack is kind of um different where we meet right after school at the school um we are lucky enough to have a wonderful relationship with our um local school so they just let us use the building and um that's cool. So I actually right like after, that timing. Yeah. And it works out really well for all of our parents. So they really love it. Um, but right after school, I learned for, well, my self-defense and the other leader's self-defense, we need to give them about 20 minutes to run and play and just have a good time. So I put the Weeblos and the Arrow of Light Scouts in charge of that time. So they get to decide what games they play, you know, that kind of thing. And we let them go outside and just play. And then when they come in, they're much more able to sit and focus on what the task at hand is that day. Um, whether it be knots or whatever the adventure is that we're working on, first day, that kind of thing. Um, they're much more better, excuse my English, they're better focused when we do that. Um, won't do that. They'll do their opening ceremony and then they'll go right into their den meetings. And, but the kids have had a chance to get home from school, do their homework, have that time to decompress before they go to scouts. Right. How long are you cut meetings? If you don't mind my asking. Um, we try to do about an hour. Um, okay. Depending on, I, I try to be done by five o'clock. So school gets out at three forty-five. Um, so we try to be done by four o'clock or five o'clock. Excuse me. Um, that way, the kids that have youth group, because most of our youth groups in the area um, meet Wednesday nights, which is the same day ah. we meet. So by five o'clock, we can be done. They can go home, have a quick dinner, and then do their youth group. Cool. That's a pretty good setup. I'm um, just a little got, bit envious. We got very lucky um, with how things worked out. Um, not being chartered to a church, we don't have a building. So mm. that kind of made things where we had to think outside the normal, this is what we have box. So, yeah. You know. I mean, that's that's maybe one area. And actually, that seems to be the case here in Ireland, too, is that, well, and I guess that makes sense because, of course, it's Ireland. And so they actually had two scouting organizations um, that basically fused together. And there was kind of a smaller public organization. And then there was also the Catholic Scouts of Ireland, right? And so like most of the scout groups around here, um, their scout hall is basically like an old church hall. Like literally in town here, it's, you can tell that it's like an old church hall. Like it's, you know, brick construction, um, got a 
you know, some light colored bricks in the shape of a cross on the front of it, actually then surrounded by dark colored bricks. But then if you go around the side and it just says, you know, 23rd Middleton or 23rd Cork County Middleton Scouts, um, and it is their hall, it is the scout hall, but it is still, you know, it is the old parish hall and the parish is their sponsor organization. So you see that I've seen that a fair bit here in Ireland. In Canada, that tends to, I mean, I think the United Church is still one of the larger sponsors of scouting in Canada, but in the Edmonton area, it tends to be the case that it'll be like community leagues that are the the main sponsor organization. And just unfortunately, uh, well, I mean, and it's not a bad thing, but like, unfortunately, like with our community league, um, we don't ever, the only thing we use the community league for is for our once a month group committee meeting. So this is the governing body of the entire scout group. Um, that is the, literally the only thing we can use this space in the community league for because it is just so darn busy because there's just so many other community groups. And so we have to really scrimp and scrounge for space. Um, so like my Cubs, we meet in a school gymnasium, um, which we're fortunate to have. And we actually have pretty good rapport with the school too. Um, so like if we want to use their Chromebooks, we can do that or their AV equipment. Uh, we can do that. Um but we also have to share the school with other groups. And so, you know, like we have to wrap it up right on time because then there's like this Tai Chi group coming in or something after us. And obviously we don't want to interfere with their um, booking of the gymnasium as well. Um, we use other schools, we use community, you know, other community halls where we can get them. Yeah. Um, now our Pinewood Derby, we always use a different community building um, just because we can't get the school on like, say a Saturday. Um, and so we use a, a, a different community building that can actually handle our Pinewood Derby track because our track is fairly big. So, and by the time you add the scouts and their parents and the grandparents and everybody, it gets to be tight quarters if you don't have a big enough building. <laughs> um, when... I went to Canada, I went to the scout shop and I was, um, cause I had heard on your program that the beaver buggies, um, I didn't realize that there was a semi, um, the scout express that they did. So we bought a scout express kit. Um, and I was telling my kids about it and they are so excited to see that when we do our Pinewood Derby, to see how that works. So they're really excited about that part of it. Oh, the semis. Yeah. Those are awesome. <laughs> those are fun to raise. Um, and you know, it's funny too, because like the scout express kit, the, the, the big semi trailers and the beaver buggies, like it's kind of mostly the design is mostly like pre-made. Right. And the idea is more how you decorate it. So like you'll see the wildest designs, the, the overall wildest designs in Pinewood Derby because it's here's a block of wood, remove everything that isn't your car. Um, whereas with the trucks and with the beaver buggies, it's much more about like how they get painted up. And I mean, some, some scouts will try and do stuff with like the trailer. Um, and I've seen some pretty interesting stuff done with the trailers on the trucks over the years, but yeah, those are fun to watch race. Yeah. I, um, I think we're going to have to build an extension for our, 
track because I don't think it'll quite accommodate it that big of a <laughs> I was track. just about to say we we have one. We actually do have to have a special extension for our track because yeah, the the launch area of our track, um, just you know, on the on the section where the launch pins are, um, yeah, it's just long enough to accommodate a cub car. And yeah, you want to race trucks. There's a little extension that you got to put on. It's not a little extension. It's another foot long past it, but uh, yeah, you got to put that uh, put that in place so they don't hang off the end. Well, I was thinking for maybe our arrow of light to give them a little bit more of a challenge because that that kit is intense to put it together. It's definitely more. Um, you have to have more dexterity in order to put it together, kind of thing give my cup my older cubs a little bit more of a challenge we're gonna see how this one goes with my husband putting this one together before we talk about doing that but <laughs> you're gonna have to start importing them from like windsor or wherever yeah well my aunt lives in detroit so she oh go okay well that's not bad for us real quick <laughs> Yeah, she could she could sneak across the border and bring some back. Of all the things to be smuggling across the border. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is true. Like I, I I'm always happy when I go to like our big area wide rallies and there's, you know, um, I mean, obviously the cub cars are the main event, and those are certainly I think what everybody knows the best. But yeah, there's you know, always gonna be three or four tracks for the beaver buggies, there's always gonna be two or three tracks for the scout trucks and um, it's just, it's awesome to see them all race. And I know like, I like bringing my beavers out to that event because then of course they can look at the cub cars and be just like, Oh, I can't wait to make one of those. And then I like bringing my cubs out to those events because then they see the scout trucks and they're just like, why don't we do that? <laughs> exactly. Well, with the, um, the adding of our new pilot program for lions, cause they're kindergarten five-year-old, you know, five, six. Um, yeah, totally. The original pilot program was basically that they they participate in some scouting things, but not everything. You know, just give them a taste so that they, they want to come back for more. This year they've changed it to where they can be a little bit more involved. Um, and one of the things they can do now is the Pinewood Derby. Um, nice. So my thought was, is they ought to do it like, like a bee buggy. And just do a big lion, a lion head on the car. Yeah, instead of a beaver, just put a lion in exactly. the Exactly. So I was trying to explain to them what a beaver buggy was. And they all looked at me like I was insane. Oh. I'm like, do people not pay attention to what, you know, they're scouting in other parts of the world? Do you not look at that? And they don't. No. And I mean, to be fair, that's not, you know, something that's unique to um, America as well. I mean, I've conversed with scouts from many other countries and they're, you know, there's oftentimes that just this whole like, oh, you do it that way. That's totally weird. And I've never heard of that. But um, so, yeah, it's not, a you know, a uniquely American phenomenon, but it is grating when you encounter it even so, right? Because you're just like, yes, like seriously, like it's not... <laughs> There's exactly. millions of us around the world. There's 140 so, countries. <laughs> exactly. You know, they're scouting in other parts of the world. They do Pinewood Derby in other parts of the world. We just need to do a little research. Yep. I mean, Pinewood Derby is, I think, the most famous incarnation of it, you know, just probably because, um, I mean, you can Google search for cub cars and you'll find plenty of great results. But, you know, if, uh, 
if I have parents who are like really like, um, you know, their kids are like saying, well, I want to do like some crazy design, but I have no idea what I want to do. And I'm just like Pinewood Derby, just go to Google images, Pinewood Derby. And, (laughs) and you will find so many designs. Um, Of course, then equally, you have to be careful that, you know, you don't get into a situation where it's the parents who are doing most of the design work, right? Um, And I think I've come up with a really good solution for that. Um, So tigers, um, they have to be able to tell me what exactly they did on their car. Now, I expect that the parent is going to do most of the design and definitely the cutout. But the the tiger should be able to at least have maybe sanded a little bit. They should have at least painted something on it. They have to have done something. So then it progresses up as their age goes. So by the time they're air of light, the only thing I should know that that parent did was cut the car out. And yeah, anything with the power tools. Yeah, when you look at cars, you can tell what ones parents did and what ones the kids did. And then if I know a parent did it and the kid can't tell me what they did on their car or if they flat out just say, oh, dad made my car. I'm like, well, you can race it in the renegade race, but you can't race it in the regular race. Sorry. Ah, yeah. And, you know, I got to admit, though, do you have kids, too, that like to try and build for the off-spec race, the renegade race, you call it? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing that was new to me last year was that some of my cubs were like deliberately trying to design cars that were like well outside the parameters, but it was on purpose. They're just, you know, because they wanted to, you know, just because they could, right? And just like, no, I know this is not going to be like raceable in the event. I just, I wanted to do something crazy. Yeah. And I see that more with the older boys, just because particularly ones that have been in it for a very long time. Um, They want to do something different off the wall and crazy and you know, make it really heavy or really light or whatever. And that's what the whole renegade part is for, is for those those ones that want to be like whack all over the place kind of thing. So that's why we made up that that category for them so that they have a place they can race their car and still be a part. Yeah, totally. And I mean like in a way it's good to accommodate for that, right? Because you know like obviously like, it's good that there are rules for Pinewood Derby. There's a weight limit. There's a height limit. All of that stuff. Um, we have actually cub cars, beaver buggies are pretty much subject to exactly the same requirements as Pinewood Derby. Um, you say five ounces. We say 140 grams. The difference is about three grams. So, you know, it's <laughs> we're, we're very much in line, like, with those specs. And... So, you know, like it's, it's good that those exist, right? Because then we're ensuring that everybody who wants to do the competition race is on a level playing field. But at the same time, it is good to be able to accommodate the, the youth who, you know, do want to just try and innovate and see what happens. Like, well, what actually happens if I have like this paper thin feather light car, you know, how's that going to actually perform? And then they can find out. Or on the other hand, like what happens if I literally just, um, line my car with as much steel as I can find (laughs) what's going to (laughs) happen. Right. Exactly. Um, And I, I totally let the older boys have that freedom to do that because I figure at this point they've kind of earned it. You know, they've done the standard car over and over. They're ready for something different. Um, 
and I have really good parents that are, and I flat out tell them when we hand out the cars, your job is to make sure your kid does not bleed. (laughs) Other than that, let them do it. It may not look the prettiest. It may not even win. It's their car. When we get to race time, I have a car that I purposely built so it is heavy and slow. So they have to race me at the very end. And then when they win against me, they're like, okay, well, at least I didn't lose, you know? So we don't have the tears of, I'm a loser, my car's a loser, that kind of thing, because they won. Yeah, exactly. Which particularly for the younger ones is a is more of an issue than the older ones. Yeah, that's actually something I've noticed too. Is that like, yeah, you'll get the one beaver whose car is just not doing it on the track, and he's just dejected at the end of it all. Um, oh, I even had to deal with that with like my own daughter, right? And but I mean, like at least for her, it wasn't about like getting a trophy or anything like that. It was just she wanted to make sure that her car came in first once or twice. <laughs> you know, that was enough. Right. Um, um, Which is, you know, I, like, run, um, oh, I do sure, our dip, Pinewood Derby a little different. I don't do, um, most of them are a double elimination bracket system. And I don't do that. Okay. Um, I do a point system. So we have a four lane track. So every car gets to race on every lane at least once. Um, and then first gets four points. Second gets three all the way down to the fourth car and whoever has the most points at the end of everything wins. They get the big, and we don't do trophies either. I do little ribbons, um, mainly cause we're a small pack and we can't afford it, but, um, I do little ribbons for them. And then whoever gets the most points gets the, the blue ribbon, so to speak. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, we tend to do um, round robin. Yeah. Um, and then like in our big events, <clears throat> like within our group, we'll just, we'll kind of do round robin races and I'll keep track of, you know, the cars that win the most whenever they come up in a heat. And then, you know, like the top, like a quick el- uh, set of elimination races to, you know, basically get me down to my top three. Um with the area events, it's a little bit more complicated. They'll do round robin initially, but they'll very carefully track the results. And then um, they will basically break the cars up into um, speed categories. So like there'll be about five categories, you know, and category one will be the cars that like are consistently the top performers in the round robin. Category two will be the cars that had some first place, but a few, like some second place finishes. And then, you know, all the way down to category five, which are the cars that maybe will cross the finish line if they're lucky. Um, (laughs) And then they will race within, and then they'll do the actual like ranked races within those categories. Right. So, which is nice because like on the one hand, um, you know, the kids who build like a genuinely well-made fast car, like they're competing in category one and they know like, you know, category one, like this is the top speed category. It's, you know, they're competing against other cars that are of similar speed and have a chance to beat their, their car uh, versus, you know, having them race against 
um, people who are maybe down in category four and their car is just never going to have a chance, right? So it's nice to kind of break it up along those lines. And then within each category, there's, you know, first, second, third, and, uh, you know, more kids go home happy. Yeah. Um, do you but. do like a, um, an award for the, the car that has, um, the best use of like a scouting theme or, um, uh, um choice or anything like that? We have scouters choice and, and youth choice. So uh, both within our pack, the scouters get to vote on the cars they like the most, and then the youth get to vote on the cars they like the most, and there's an award for those. And then typically at the area races as well, that's how it's run. Um, so the the event will typically actually start with like this parade of cars. You know, they'll all be arrayed on tables, and um, every youth gets to walk by, and they just get to write down like which cars they like the most. And then those are tallied at the end. And then the scouters do likewise. Okay. I usually have a parent's choice as well, just because I want to get the parents involved. <laughs> so um. that's not usually been a problem for me with the cub cars. That's like, if there's one thing that I'm going to see parents turn out for, it's that. Mm-hmm. Well, and we started doing, um, last year and the year before we did our Pinewood Derby and then right after we did our end of year quote unquote graduation. So right. basically they, they move to the next rank, whether they've earned it or not, they, they get to their next rank. Um, and we have a big luck. It ends up being about four hours with 10 kids. You know, you go through Pinewood Derby fairly quickly. Um, but, um, makes out a, a big event that we do at the end of the year and it seems to work very well because the parents that would normally come for one thing won't necessarily come for the other and that way they're there for both supporting their kid and i've had parents comment that they really appreciated that it was at the same it, it was combined event because then it made it a lot easier on them and the kid actually enjoys having their parent there Nice. Well, I mean, that works. Well, when you have a small pack, you got to get creative on what you do. So, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think that's kind of the point too, is that you know, ultimately, you know, you want the pack to continue to thrive, grow if possible, and so you know, it's it's good to be able to have a level of flexibility to you know just figure something out, innovate, you know, make make things happen when they need to happen, <laughs> um, yeah, in, in what ways you can. So. No, that's good. Well, and I'm looking forward to having the girls be a part of um, everything we do as that goes, just so that, because um, in the past I've had a separate category just for sisters. Right. Um, and maybe do a mom and daughter race or a dad and daughter race and a mother-son race kind of thing. Um Ooh for Pinewood Derby or whatever. And I'm looking forward to not necessarily having those distinctions and just doing the race. Yeah. You just get everybody I mean? out with their cars and have fun. Exactly. Awesome. Actually, I meant to ask just kind of a follow up on the, the whole discussion about the girls joining. Um, do you anticipate like much interest in your area? Um, 
I do. I in past years when we've done our um, sign up night in the fall, um, which is where we kind of just um, have parents come and uh, we send a flyer home with the boys and have parents come and and learn more about Cub Scouting and then sign their boy up. Right. Um, in past years, I've had where like um, parents have asked about if their daughters could join or whatever, and or girls come and and ask me can I be a Cub Scout? Can I be a Cub Scout? So, um, I've had a lot of interest in the past, so I'm hoping that, um, that'll be the case again. And now I can say, yes, you can join. Here's an application, fill it out. Um, awesome. So, um, I have limited leadership at the moment, so I'm hoping that with, um, able to expand, um, membership, I can get new leaders and, and that'll help us out too, take some of the load off. Um, but I'm really hoping to, to maybe not necessarily double our size, but at least expand um, our size a little bit so that um, everybody gets a better experience. Because it's hard when you're the only kid in the den. You know, you only have one yeah. tiger or one wolf. It's yeah. There's not much. It makes how do you work life on a little stuff. more difficult? Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's actually one reason I'm a fan of our age integrated approach is the fact that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't wander into that situation. But then again, at the same time, like I can appreciate too, that there is, you know, there's good reason to that. Like I can see the advantage sometimes. And actually sometimes I do this. I like, you know, deliberately peel off just my howlers and I send them off to do an activity one way. And then I peel off my trackers and they go off and maybe they're doing the same activity, but they're doing it with more assistance from the scouters and then likewise the runners after that. But so like I can see the advantages of both approaches and I use one or the other where appropriate, but yeah, I can totally see how it would not be a cool thing to have like eh, one little lone tiger cub sitting at his table trying to do something. Yeah. And, and it discourages them from coming back because they don't have any of their friends that they can interact with or whatever. So, you know, in the past, what I've done is do the wolves and bears together. If I have a lone wolf, I'll do I'll integrate him in the in the with the bears, which makes program a little more difficult. But you get creative. Yeah, you do. And particularly in the new program, it makes it a little bit easier because every skill builds on the next. You know, like if they learn one thing in tigers, it's going to be in the wolf program. You just have to find it and then it, but it's a little more intense. So it builds on each other. So it makes it a little easier. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, like it can actually be to the advantage of the younger kids to see how the older kids are dealing with the challenge. I mean, they may need a little bit more help to, to work at that level, but it can really be beneficial to see how the older youth are handling the same challenge that's been put to them. And, you know, like, they, they, that can be actually a really great learning experience. It can also be a frustrating experience, but hopefully it's yeah. more of a learning experience than a frustration. Well, what I found funny is that when we did knots, instead of doing it individually, I, I, we did it as a group. And the they have to learn how to tie a square knot is one of the knots they have to do. And um, my tigers were getting it. Not a problem. The Weeblos and Air of Light were having a heck of a time. 
Those older boys just could not get those knots to save their little lives. <laughs> That's funny. But the younger ones were getting it, and then they're going over and they're showing the older ones, which was a complete role reversal for them. And they kind of, it, it, it made them stop and go, wow, look, this younger kid is getting it and he's trying to teach me. And they actually listened and were very respectful. And then they were like, okay, well now I have something else that I can go to them and teach. So it became more of a, they're teaching each other kind of thing instead of I'm teaching them, which was an incredible thing to watch. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. I like the, I like that. That's that's a good story. Uh, I can't think of too many occasions where I've seen that play out for my own. But like, I mean, it's. I, I guess that's you know maybe one thing that I do miss when we don't do the the age segregation is that you know um, those opportunities are a little less likely to come along, or they might happen, but they're going to happen like within the individual layers. And maybe if I'm not working with a particular layer where that's happening, and I'm going to miss it. Right. Well. This has been, I think, a really good chat, um, covered a wide range of topics, but I should probably um, answer back some of my wife's text messages. She's been like, hey, you free for FaceTime? Hey, you free for FaceTime? So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she probably wants to talk to you. <laughs> I know, right? What's up with that? <laughs> I know. But, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad we got to talk finally. Yeah, totally. And we found a solution that will hopefully work. I have a bit of homework to do in terms of cleaning up the audio, but that's all on me. So thank you. This was great. You're very welcome. I'll be happy to come back and give my input anytime. Well, hopefully next time technology is more cooperative. But yeah, hopefully, definitely. Yes, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again. And we will talk to you soon. And thank you to everyone out there for tuning in. Thank you to Scouting Radio for rebroadcasting our episodes to their worldwide audience. If you're listening to Scouting Radio, uh, if you're listening to us on Scouting Radio, please do consider subscribing to the podcast so you can get new episodes delivered fresh to your device of choice. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and wherever other fine podcasts are found. You can also get in touch with the podcast directly. Um, almost give you the address for my other podcast, scoutingstuffpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at SSYSK Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash scoutingstuffpodcast. And that's also our Instagram username. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, be prepared. Be prepared.